The Pinball Network is online. Launching Free Play Pinball Podcast. Coming at you out of Jacksonville, Florida and St. Charles, Illinois, it's the Free Play Pinball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Amanda Hamilton and Bill Webb. Welcome to Free Play Pinball Podcast. It's our Sweet 16 episode, and boy, do we have a treat tonight. Kind of been teasing it, kind of been joking about it, kind of been putting little tidbits here and there, but tonight, to celebrate our one-year anniversary, our 100th follower on Facebook, and our Sweet 16, we have the most mysterious man in pinball joining us tonight. (laughs) Bill Webb, will you help me to welcome Mr. Peter Dorn? Peter, how are you doing, good sir? Doing good, Bill and Amanda. How are you guys? Doing so good. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm willing to bet that I'm going to get emails back saying, who is Peter Dorn? Who the hell is this guy? Who is this guy? I've never heard of him before. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is your loss. Because let me tell you two things that I know about Peter Dorn, which are probably the only two things I know about him. He is the mechs guy for Jersey Jack Pinball. He makes all the really cool stuff that makes our games so much fun, including on my Yellow Brick Road Wizard of Oz for all you haters out there. Yep, that was Peter that made that game fun. Hooked us up on Pirates, did some stuff on Wonka. There's a rumor that he's involved in other games. (gasps) Scandal. And the other thing I know about him is he's one of the nicest guys I have ever had the pleasure of meeting in sort or outside of pinball so it's an honor to have you on tonight well thank you very much yes peter yeah. thank you for joining us and One a little history i know billy fairly well too you've known him for more than a minute more years plus or three minutes yeah 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 just, so just, if anybody just... ever needs any dirt peter is retiring in a few years and he has a retirement fund set up in the swiss bank account and an account off the Caymans that I'm sure he will get you those transfer money, your, you know, the transfer numbers for, for good info on Bill. He's, he's working on getting a, a casino license in uh, Osage, Beach, Osage Beach, Missouri, and uh, has <laughs> a couple other v- business ventures down there. Uh, I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, no, long to the short, we'll make this quick. Uh, go back with Peter. Peter was uh, my best friend's neighbor. So literally, that's why he's calling me Billy is because back in the day, I was, you know, um, and you know, quick crazy story since, you know, we're on this podcast. When you guys were doing Wonka, we came in early and we were able to to do the uh, special and lit podcast, uh, the making of Willy Wonka. Walk in, hear this familiar voice that I haven't heard in forever. I'm like, I know that voice. Turn around and who's there playing Willy Wonka? Peter. I'm like, Peter, what are you doing here? You know, you're supposed to be a couple of towns over. He's like, well, I work here. What are you doing here? I'm like, oh, we're doing a, a podcast. He's like, oh, well, we'll be in on this. I'm like, cool. That was just the most fascinating run-ins I've ever had in my life with running into an old friend. Crazy that it was this hobby, of all things. You it's know. a big, small world. It is. It really is. It really is. And it's getting smaller. Every day. And I mean, I mean here, there's more machines now that have been produced um, than, I mean, Williams was huge back in the day. And you, you started your career at Williams, correct? Uh, William, uh, the Williams Umbrella owned yeah. many games, uh, which was all the, the arcade division. 
the coin op. And um, I was working on coin op games back in the mid nineties. Um, my first game that I did uh, as a project manager, project engineer was hyperdrive. It was the first three dimensional driving game that um, Midway put out. Um, that was a Matt Booty as a game designer. And Matt Booty is now the vice president in charge of games at Microsoft or something like that. So, I mean, he's moved up the ladder quite a bit too. But that was that game was very difficult to, to play. Um, the math in it was really tough. Uh, but the game after that was a huge success and that was Hydro Thunder. And uh, if you ever played the boat racing game linked up to, to four or six other people, it's a fun, fun game. Yeah, that's so- crazy. It's kind of interesting with this because as some of our listeners, especially our longtime listeners know, I'm somewhat of a private detective when it comes to researching our guests. And I always try to do my homework. And Peter, I messaged you a couple nights ago and I said, you know what? You are a very hard man to research because I literally could not find much outside of your Jersey Jack stuff. Dug and dug and dug. And I mean, I've got two degrees that are based on research. I know how to go to the second and third page on Google. I couldn't find much. And you were so generous. And you said, you know, call me. Let's talk about it. I've got some other stuff. What do you want to know? And you shared some stuff for me that we'll share with our listeners tonight. But you you told me something really interesting the other night when we were talking on the phone. And that was that you guys didn't really get the credit that you deserved for one reason or another, whether there was a riff in the culture of the place that you were working or if you were leaving or if you were a contracted employee your name never really made it onto those games. Well, that that's correct. And, um, you know, so I did a couple of, so my name was in hyperdrive on the screen. My name is on Hydro Thunder in the screen. Um, but that never really gets recorded in the annals of history. You see the game designer, you see the software people, and that's all you get in, in arcade games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my further career at Midway, um, I worked, I did all the mechanical work on Arctic Thunder and I did all the mechanical work on Ed Boon, Mortal Kombat type of, you know, Ed Boon, uh, mm-hmm. on his very last arcade game at Midway. And that was called The Grid. Did all the work on Arctic Thunder. And then I didn't bring it to manufacturing because I jumped over to do Ed Boon's game. So they took my name off Arctic Thunder. And then I left Midway before um, The Grid actually went to manufacturing. So they took my name off of that, too. It's not well, it's fair. Crazy. It was a different time though back then. I mean, literally, it was just it was. three people made a game and that was it. Um, and and now with like the resurgence of pinball, it's crazy because you can tell what every person did on the game. You know, multiple coders, sound guys. You know, that's the nice thing is you can actually look this stuff up now. Where before with the internet, um, there's a uh, Terry from Pinball Life. He said it best. He goes, you know, I used to live in the city. He goes, I used to chase pinball all over. I couldn't tell you that pinball was made. You know, four blocks from where I used to live. Because nobody knew all that stuff back in the day. It was just, you know, you had the, you know, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have the resources to kind of look this stuff up. Um, so with these, uh, with like Hydro Thunder, did they do play testing and put it on location to see how it played before yes. they actually did it? Okay. Yes. And that's one, the one dynamic that really has changed in the industry. Because you won't see a game now on location no. before it's released. No, no, no. no. Pinball mm-hmm. doesn't do that anymore. I mean, yeah. Williams used to do that all the time. I mean, they'd take games and they put it in some of the corner arcades and they'd go and watch it or they'd go put it at a bowling alley and they'd go watch people play. Um, kind of the same type of thing they were doing in, in slot machines. You know, everything was based on coin drop. And, you know, if it wasn't earning, they made different decisions. They made changes. 
or they didn't put the game out, right? And uh, so, I mean, those are some of the things that happened back in the day. But now we make a game and it goes to manufacturing. We announce it or it gets leaked somehow. And uh, uh, then it goes out and gets sold, right? Or it goes to a show, but it's already being sold when it's, you know, being unveiled at a show. Now, and now, like, look at how many games are sold out because we're so desperate for new games, especially with all of the things that we've gone through in the past two years with manufacturing and COVID and being able to get a hold of supplies and everything. If you announce a new game and it's the right company, the right designer, the right size of a game, the, a potentially gone. rumored right theme, you know, it's gone before it ever even is. There's no pictures. You don't know who's doing the sound. You don't know what color the game's going to be. It could literally be a cardboard box and people have already bought them all. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so that brings up a point. I mean, we took a lot of flack for GNR when we released GNR. We were unprepared. We were just unprepared for the, the onslaught of orders. It was amazing. And that game, I mean, you guys have, there's so much flack that JJP gets because of their release schedule, which mm-hmm. we can touch on if you choose to later on in the show. That's that's completely up to you. That's not why we brought you here or to drag you for- over the coils for it. But when you guys do release a game, it's mind-blowing. It is. So it's weird. It's it's one of those double-edged swords. Like, yes, we would all love a game that it had as much impact as Guns N' Roses did. I mean, I remember that it was a concert under, light, under glass. You had the full experience. Wonka had such a huge release presence, and it was so just, it was beautiful, and it was colorful, and it was family-friendly, and it was it was just this great game that came out at the time. Pirates. You know, Pirates went from, everybody got so pissed off about the free spinning wheels, and then it came out, and everybody was like, oh, well, I'm going to be like this. And now you're selling them for $25,000 secondhand on, you know, like, there's such a cult following now because people realize these games are that good. And depth of pirates is amazing. Oh, I miss my pirates. Eric, some of your pirates. So that was the first game I worked on over at JJP when I first got there as a contractor. And I had the dubious distinction of taking the three wheel spinner out and I had to put the single in. That was my contribution. And now everybody knows who you are. <laughs> the well, light bulb just went that off. Was on under, that was under direction, and Eric did not want to do it. I'll tell you that. No. So, but it was—I don't think anybody wanted to do it, but it was kind of a necessary thing, I'd imagine. You didn't just pull it bad. out for ah, Eric. You pissed me off, and then my lunch. I'm yanking your your spinner Mac out. You know. No, no, and you know that was a corporate decision to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and corporate, the corporate, the corporation gets to make those decisions. Yeah. Well, I mean, here, there's so much in Pirates. I mean, let's let's go down the list. I mean, between the the ship that you shoot at, the mini play field, the uh, yep. the the spin the wash ramp, yeah, the maelstrom ramp, um, yep. the screen uh, Davy Jones apron. locker. You have the chest. You have uh, you have the, the subway topper, that goes especially. in. Yeah, right. So you have all Top these different motion, things, right? Yeah. All these things, I'm sure, are not free. They cost oh. money. Well, right. They do. they do, and you know. Pinball is hard. Um, people think pinball is easy. It's hard because we've got such a violent environment under that glass that, you know, who knows how bad it's going to get beat up. And take a look at some games that have, you know, got, you know, uh, 5,000, 7,000 games on it. And stuff breaks. Stuff mm-hmm. just breaks, you know, and it, it's hard. 
you know, we test the best we can, uh, but stuff happens too. What was it we determined on stream that night, Bill, when you guys were streaming the ball travels between 90 and 120 miles an hour at any given time across that play field? Yeah, something like that. Which, I mean, here, you're talking, you know, a steel ball against mm-hmm. plastic, wood, rubber. I mean, things mm-hmm. are, are going to happen. Glass. Yeah. Right? I'm sorry? And glass, too, because it pops up and smacks that glass. Which it is surprising because I've never seen that. a piece of glass break like that. In all your play testing, have you guys seen a ball break a sheet of glass? Nope. Okay. That's what safety I'm sure people glass have dropped is all about, right? I'm sorry? That's what safety glass is all about. Yeah. Now, I'm sure somebody's dropped a piece of glass in the warehouse, and everyone's, hey, good job, you know. But put it on its edge, and it hits something sharp, and it just disintegrates in your hands, and all kinds of stuff happen. Yeah. But it's it's meant to disintegrate, too, though. It's not supposed to break off like a piece of sheet glass and turn into this, like, horror movie stabbing device. It's supposed to go right. into pebbles. Right. It, it's all safety glass. Yeah. Yep. So we touched on something here, and I want to go back, if you don't mind. Um so when they would t- uh, field test prototype pinball machines, I remember like Portillo's out here had one, um, stuff like that. You know, you guys would test in-house, but the the testing in-house and the um, location testing really made up the testing of the machine. Do you feel that you guys now are testing more in warehouse or in-house than you guys would have back in the day? Or do you think it's about an even split? Well, we don't go out on site to test. So everything is in-house. But we're doing a lot more mechanism testing now than we did in the past. I mean, and that's what I meant to ask. Yeah. So we get mechanisms built as soon as we can, and we get them over to the electronics guys that are doing our testing for us. And we've got test rigs in the back that we set up our fixtures, you know, that are all fixtured up and programmed, and we run tests. So. Um, yeah. So there's more testing now than there ever was. Yeah, a lot of stuff we want to go to a million cycles if we can, which is. In engineering and it cycles. So, um, so and then the other thing I wanted to go back on. So you guys went from uh, you know Wizard of Oz, Great Legs, um, to Hobbit, um, which was insane because you know the the mech on that with the five individual or six individual coils for the drop targets had to be a nightmare. Um, obviously a very expensive mech too, reliable but expensive. Um. Then you went to Dialed In, and then you jumped on board with uh, Pirates. Yellow Brick uh, Road. Ye- Yellow Brick Road. But then going back to uh, uh, something you said that kind of uh, resonated with me was the Wonka reveal. You guys brought up the MGC, um, had a big thing. Um, we uh, did a... You guys did a stream on it, too. We did a tailgate party right before you guys announced it, and you said that you know as soon as the order banks open you guys were just flooded with wonka orders we were we were which is a great I, problem i was yeah. with marketing people out in the hallway at mgc and they were just going nuts so it's a lawler game i mean let's be real it's a pat wall mm-hmm. game and it plays well and it's received well so that had it that was insane by your standards so what happened i don't know eight hours after you guys launched GNR and you saw how insane that was, which was even, it you was, know, it wasn't even eight hours. It was two hours. That's when at, at the two hour mark, we exceeded all our CEs and the orders just kept coming. I mean, we couldn't even stop the flow. Nice. That's awesome. I mean, it's, 
that's one of those problems that you want to have. And it's a great learning experience too, because it's going to test the limits of the factory, but it's so uh, awesome that that game was so well received so quickly. Yeah. But you know, it, 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 it's good and bad because there was, there was a lot of disappointment and a lot of um, anger that people were trying to buy the CEs and they just absolutely couldn't, they felt left out and mm -hmm. there was nothing we could do because you know, we had 500 games and that's all we were selling of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally if we had a thousand, we would have probably sold in excess of a thousand. Right. And, yeah. you know, we could have made a, 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 a boatload of money on it, but we, mm -hmm. we, we said 500 and that's all we had. Yeah. You're doing a disservice to those who were early buy-ins. Cause I know there had to have been pre-orders on that game too. It's, that was the worst kept secret in pinball for a while. Everybody knew GNR was coming out. We were waiting for it. We were excited about it. So those people who got in on those CEs, they got in knowing I'm investing this money because there's only going to be 500 of these out in the wild. And one of them is going to be in my house. So if you yeah. turned around and said, okay, well, we're bumping it up an extra thousand. We're going to make 1500 of them. Now you would have had even more mad people, you know? That's right. That's right. It dilutes the value of it at that point. Yeah. And I'm, here, and, and let's be honest, uh, the CE is definitely a special game, but the LE is not, you know, it, it's very comparable. You're not losing a whole lot by not getting, you know. Even the, even the standard's good, though. Like, that game is good. I yes. love the flow on the standard. Eric the did a great job. Yeah. You know, putting he's little he's mini okay. Stage field, you know, putting that little mini stage play field up there, you know, with the little um, cardboard cutout kind of types of stuff up there. I mean... You know, it, it, it's a great thing, you know, but the, the game plays, it plays quick as an SE, and mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in fairness, you guys put a band geek on a on a music-themed pinball machine. It better have been good. Right. And we had access to everything from them. Everything. Slash was wonderful to work with. So, and he was instrumental in getting us anything we wanted. Do you think that this will go down as one of the all-time most incorporated pinball machines that's ever been built. I think it is. I don't think anybody's going to have even close to the same type of access that we had. Okay. I mean, you... Eric, was, Eric was talking to Slash almost daily on, on the game. So. Yeah. That's it. And they still, from what it sounds like and kind of what I've seen on social media and the conversations that I've had with Eric, they're still in touch. It's not like, a, okay, you're done with my machine and I've forgotten who you are. Like, he's still in touch and communicates with slash directly as well. Right. They've become friends. That's so yeah. awesome. It is great game. Um, so if, if you don't Pretty mind, good. we're going to, I'd like to transition. So what was it like walking into the door of Jersey Jack pinball and jumping into this arena? And what was one of the first mechs you did? Well, let me tell you how I got there first. Okay. okay. Uh, even better. Was it by motorcycle or car? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that, you know, the office was actually about five minutes from my house, which is right. even. And um, I was doing slot machines. I was doing some contract work. I was doing a bunch of design work for slots. And um, I, a friend of mine told me of a, of a game manufacturer in Bensonville that was looking for a mechanical guy. So I'm like, toy manufacturer in Bensonville? game manufacturer, Bensonville. I don't even know who this is. So I, I contacted the, the ad and uh, they got me an interview 
I interviewed with Pat Lawler and I pretty much got hired. I mean, it was that quick. Nice. And, uh, That's awesome. So, so I walked in and I'm starting to work with Pat and, um, I designed a mech for him. It was a little diverter for him. And, uh, I went back in the shop. It took me about a week and a half to work out everything that he wanted. And I walked out to the shop. I cut the parts. I made the parts. I welded everything together. I screwed stuff together. And two days later, I handed him a mechanism and, you know, it's been history after that. What, what was the diverter for? If you don't mind me asking. It was, uh, an early Whitewood for um, Wonka. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. That is so awesome. I love that. So what is the hardest mech so far that you've worked on at JJP? Like from inception to completion. Hardest mech? Mm-hmm. The one that caused the most challenge, the most headache, the one you wanted to strangle. The one that gave you night terrors. Well, <laughs> the one that made you have that second glass of scotch in the evening when you got home. <laughs> there's, there's no mechanism that does that. Um, no. I don't think there was anything that was really super hard or heartbreaking uh, to, 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 to develop. Um, what is heartbreaking is when you go through all the testing, you get everything done, and then all of a sudden something happens when you go to uh, production with it and something changed in the mold or something, you know, materials got um, substituted and it just doesn't work the same way that you've done a million cycles on and then you're scrambling. Those are the things that give me nightmares. Well, yeah, and especially today, because I mean, where do you retrofit, you know, let's, let's just say a diverter. Where do you retrofit the diverter to get the one that you needed, you know, yesterday, especially when you're in close to production? Well, that's a tough one. Yeah. Or really, chip really shortages tough. or anything else that, I mean, all these Everything raw materials right you guys are, are using Ugh. that I'm sure outsourcing right now is, you know. Yeah, we can talk about logistics and getting parts. And if you go to any one of the manufacturing shows today, um, it, it's it it it's not a pretty picture right now. Everybody's working to full capacity. Um, it's hard to get in the line, and the development cycle for getting parts is just phenomenally long. I mean, there's stuff out there now that you know we used to get in four, six, eight weeks. Eight weeks was a long lead on stuff. We're looking at stuff now that can be, you know, six months, seven months. To get mm -hmm. parts, it's just horrible out there. And it doesn't help too. And I mean, as pinball fanatics, we all complain about this and whine about this whenever we're buying, not so much when we're selling. The price has gone up. Part of that is demand driven, but part of it too is if you have a piece of plywood that you are using to cut a play field and that piece of plywood price has doubled overnight, something has to give. So you're either pulling out usually the mechs or the bash toys, or the fun stuff, the add-ons that make the game a little more desirable, or you're raising the price? Well, I'll tell you, we've been, we have, we have raised our prices. Um, that was, you know, inevitable. Everybody has. Everybody has, but we have absorbed a lot of cost in our games. I mean, in today's world, a lot of stuff comes out of China. Right? It's just mm -hmm. a fact of life. 
plastic yeah. come out of China, sheet metal comes out of China. A lot, uh, a lot of parts get made in China. Um, a container that we used to get for $7,500, a full container, just the shipping cost of $7,500. It was as high as $28,000 just mm -hmm. shipped. And that's not even guaranteeing a place on the boat. And then it sits out in the bay for, you know, two, three, four months. And then trying to get truckers out of California, it's, it, it just becomes a, a logistics nightmare. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you think you got everything in place and then to find out, oh, well, four months from now, even though it's sitting in Long Beach, we might get it. Even though we've allotted and done our due diligence, it, it's a crazy time that we're living in. Um, it is. It really is. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I'm a geezer. So I'm going to kind of use that as a segue. Um, and we can cut this part out if you want to, Peter. But you are very familiar with the logistical timeframes and whatnot of Jersey Jack. Is that coincidental? Because that's not necessarily something, I mean, I can understand under knowing where your back order is for something related specifically to mechs. But you seem pretty well versed in that for all of the manufacturing parts. Well, my background is mechanical design, you know, product development. And um, I've been a project engineer for a very, very long time, which means they give me a project, I do the whole project, I get teams, I work with the team to get what we need done. Um, when I started at Jersey Jack, I came in as a design engineer, a mechanical guy. Um, I am now transitioning into project management. Um, so I've been elevated a little bit into the company and I'm now part of the management role and I'm watching timelines and money and uh, all kinds of stuff. So, and um, we're trying to get a hold on getting a few more games out quicker and more efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, so our goal truly is, I'm sure you've heard this before, but we are really working towards two games a year. And and that is something that during TPF, um, during the discussion panel with Jack and Steve and Ken, they all had mentioned it and, and they seemed very confident that things are starting to resolve. There was still a very good possibility that we would see two games this year. Um, I know there's a little bit of skepticism in that because we're now approaching mid-May, but even on the um, flipping out Monday Night Pinball show when Ken joined Bill and Steve Beattie, there was conversation that Ken had where he said, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that we will have a game out this year, possibly two. And if we don't get the second one out by end of year, it won't be far behind the first of the year. And we plan on continuing that trend as we move forward. That's a very good estimation. Um, okay. Um, we are trying very hard to do that. But again, we've got logistics issues that we have to, yeah. to fight every day. Well, so, let's let's rewind the clock two and a half years, okay? Two and a half years ago, this virus never happened, and shutdowns, and all this stuff, you know, that we're dealing with today that nobody could have ever foreshadowed. Yeah, <laughs> diesel wasn't six bucks a gallon. I think <laughs> you guys probably would have been a lot closer himself. to hitting your target of two ga two games a a year. You know, I think that this in, has impacted quite a bit because it's impacted everybody. Yep. Right, and I I truly believe that we can. We, if it was two and a half years ago, we would actually be on a six-month cycle for releasing games. Well, you certainly have the design talent there. Um, you have the coding talent there. You have the talent for the music and the sound there. You guys have the 
the wish and the hopes of and the support of the leadership teams to make these really, really good, really immersive games. You obviously have the buy-in from the consumers because we're all chomping at the bit, ready for a new game from you guys. So I think once me once these logistics clear up, I I really do think that's gonna help to elevate JJP to a much higher level than than you guys have been in the past just because of the production schedule. Well, well look, pr the production schedule is one thing, okay? Um, we are more game-driven than production schedule-driven, okay? And it has been that way in the past. We want to put out a great game. So if, it, you know, if we exceed that six-month schedule, you know, six-month rotational schedule, it's for a reason. And we want to make sure the game is robust and fun to play, and we're not taking stuff out of it if we don't have to. Um, and we, and like I said, we absorb a lot, and we want the game to be the best it possibly can. Um, so, and no, none of our games are cookie cutter. Um, no game plays like the last one, or even any of the other games we've play, we've got. Yeah. So, I mean, the innovation is there. Our software guys are absolutely wonderful to work with. Um, they play games, they code games, they compete, they they are invested in every bit of the game. And it's amazing to watch these guys. One of the ones that I love was uh, Joe Katz, how he uh, took it upon himself to work on Wonka and release new code after the fact. When you guys, Joe, you Katz, know. Joe Katz is my favorite programmer ever. Take that, Dwight. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a fun he's a funny guy. Joe 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 is 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 definitely a a class act. But I mean, he took it upon to himself to uh, to develop this code after the fact. Um, not that you guys wouldn't have done it, but I mean, literally, that's how driven he was because he wanted to make it even better. I mean, and that's to dedication to, that, like, to excellence. Well, part part of it too is he flat out said, you know, obviously when I'm looking and in, in realizing that this game is only being being played to completion by very, very few people across the world. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have never gotten into some of these, I don't want to use the term easy because I've never been into them, but the easier wizard modes, much less, you know, the major wizard modes. He said, you know, I realized this game is, is way too difficult the way that it's set up. And he flat out said, I've reprogrammed this game and recoded it to play the way that it was supposed to play from the beginning. He did a good job. Yeah. I he mean, I went from... Too. He's oh, awesome. I love Joe Katz. I was going to say, I went from an average score of like 1.4 million to an average score of like 6.5 million, and I am a point chaser, so I love that. So I play whack-a-ball. So ball comes down, I flip it, or I catch it and I flip it, but that's about it. I don't play by the rules. I just shoot the ball, and where it goes, I get a score. So I, that's, yeah. that's just me. Um, I don't want to get too intense in the game. I just want to have fun with it. I don't want to get upset when I'm not getting scores. This isn't golf, right? This is just me having some fun. Yep. I I play. So my this is my my rule set for every pinball machine I've ever walked up to. Aim for the things that blink and keep the ball above the flippers. And if you can do those two things, you will be very successful at pinball. Yep. I suck at both of those things. <laughs> but Finally, after almost five years, I'm starting to get a little bit better. And it's a running joke in our household because my husband's name was plastered on every game that we had. 
My daughter loves our Jersey Jack games because she gets to put her name into them. She hates playing our other games. She wants to put her names into them. She gets very upset when she cannot. Um, and our and our high scores reset every day for that very purpose. So it's a running joke that we get to walk around, even if my husband hasn't put fingers on that game in a month, and say, our name's on the game right now and yours isn't. And it's just, it's one of those fun, you know, poking points because he still is green champ on Wonka. <sighs> yeah. Glass, that's a thing. I mean, you could take it off and change that, but who does that? We had the glass off of one of our other pins the other day and I was like, I can finally hit a billion points. Watch this. And he kept smacking my hand as I was trying to roll. We were actually testing because one of our mechs on one of our other games um, was messing up and we, we were messing around with it. And he's like, you can't even do it right with the glass off. And I was like, well, I don't really like you actually. So it doesn't matter. I just married you for some reason. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Now that's how, fine. Oh, oh my gosh. He's my, he's my number one fan. No, he knows that I love him and uh, he, it's all for fun. Besides he's writing on my coattails. I'm the penfamous one. It's a running joke that we also have. Yeah. Pinfamous. I'm pinfamous. Yep. Kind of a I big like deal. <laughs> I'm not though. No, our big deal though is, we finally have the insight behind the magic. So this is kind of like, for me, Peter, literally talking to you and hearing the stories that you have about this is like talking to the Imagineers at Disney World that make the ride so cool and so amazing because you get to work that magic. You get to create it. And not a lot of people realize you are behind the scenes. You are making this happen so that we can all enjoy it. And you're testing it, these million test cycles. You know, like, I'm just what you do is so cool and it's got to be kind of fun. Cause I love that problem solving thing. Well, it is a lot of fun. I get to be a kid. I mean, I'm making games, right? What's your favorite mech that you've designed or favorites? Oh, geez. Is that like choosing like, your favorite child? What's the one you got in your car at the end of the day? And you were like, damn, that is very cool. And I can't wait for people to see this. Oh boy. <laughs> Ones that you can talk about. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a difficult question. Um, it, it, right now the, uh, spotlights on GNR, um, that was a lot of fun to develop, um, both the left and the right one, um, cause they are two different assemblies, but it was a lot of fun to get that done. You know, what's crazy is people that aren't, aren't versed in the pinball, you know, I'm thinking of, you're thinking of, uh, like neighbors that'll stop by and. Hey, come on, you know, especially when I got the game, I'm like, hey, come on, let's go play a game of pinball. Oh, okay, you know, of course, they see GNR and they're like, oh, you know, the light show is incredible. I mean, the game is just awesome in general. But that is one thing everybody comments on is those spotlights. They're like, that is awesome. Well, thanks. One, you know, you know, one thing about GNR too is, I mean, our CE had 650 individually addressable LEDs in that thing. RGBs. Don't stare directly into the LEDs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wear your glasses. Six hundred and fifty. You could almost land a plane on that many LEDs. And yet, and that there's there's secondary market putting more in too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. For those uh, of you interested in pin stadium lights, I do not recommend it for that particular game. Thank you. I'm not mentioning so names. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not have a secondary mod on my GNR. Um, it didn't need it by any stretch. I mean, it really didn't need it, but it really adds another wow factor. I mean, literally when, you know, the basement's lit up, 
you see that game from anywhere. I mean, it's just insane. It's, you know, the other thing I like, the other thing on, on GNR that I, that I really um, am happy with is the hat. That's not a sculpture. That was, I did that one. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. How did you guys ma- uh, manufacture that? Uh, that is a uh, uh, injection molded vinyl. Really? Yep. So like the prototype when you were messing with that and, and making it, did you guys 3D print that to start it off to see how it looked? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That is I mean, so it, cool. It, it worked out. It does. Yeah. You know, so. Do you get to play with the magic lathe? I keep seeing Facebook posts of the magic lathe and all I ever see is Eric by it. The the laser? I don't know. Is it a laser? I, I just know the it laser. is the magic yeah. Yeah. So we had a laser for uh, a few years that we had at our other building before we moved. And um, it was a 240 watt um, carbon laser uh, or CO2 laser, I should say. And um, it cut steel, it cut plastic. It, uh, it didn't cut real thick steel. Um, it was it, it, but it did its job and it really helped us get our prototypes done really, really quick. Um, we get into the other building, um, we're working with it, and it just wasn't performing the way we wanted anymore, and we just got another laser. So we've got a one-kilowatt laser uh, in the building Holy now, crap. and I can cut a quarter-inch steel in that laser. So, And it is fast. It is very, very fast. So, <gasps> so we're doing our prototypes now, our, our white woods, anything that we want. We cut stainless, aluminum, uh, steel, um, pretty much any metal we really want to cut. So it'll cut white wood too. What's that? It'll cut. Well, it it doesn't. It won't cut. You're not cutting wood on it. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. All right. Can't see for that. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the coolest things. Uh, so I, I've been privy to see the old um Jersey Jack uh factory where you guys build stuff in Bensonville, and I've been fortunate enough to see the new place. Um, except behind the closed doors where the curtain is. Um, but yeah, I no saw. Out there. I'm sorry. Nobody's allowed in there. I I know. I got to get a job sweeping the floors so I can just break, break in there and see the cool stuff. But they don't I let was you able... leave. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. That's it's Hotel California once you pass that door. Um, yeah. But one of the cool things was um, is I got to see some of those machines when we were there um, for the Wonka podcast. So we saw, you know, you guys uh, cycle testing all the mechs. Um, we got to see play fields that had, you know, you know, thousands upon thousands, you know, if not millions of cycles on it. Um, and one of the coolest tools that I think you guys have there is the vacuum former. That is one that I'd love to have. Yeah, it's a nice little toy. You, you, it doesn't take a whole <laughs> lot. You can rip, you can rip ramps. You can do whatever you want on it. It's, it's, it's. It's I know not it's not advanced. Former. It's not a big vacuum former, but it but it works very well for what we want it to do. Um, but with today's uh, 3D printing stuff like that, um, we can print pretty much anything we want to do in a vacuum form uh, to make sure that everything fits correctly. Uh, so I mean that's that that's a real quick way to get something done. Mm-hmm. Set it up, go home, come back, you got a part. Throw throw it in the uh, the vacuum former, throw some plastic over it, let it heat up, and smash it down. Well, we could do that if we wanted to make tools, and I know Eric has done that a couple of times. Um, but most of the time, like for uh, ramps or the stuff like that, we'll just print them. The whole ramp? Yeah. 
No kidding. They're so that I didn't know. They're human body replacements. Are you kidding me? They're 3D printing heart valves now. Right. And Just liver. Ramp. And all and, kinds. Yeah, kidneys and ears and yeah, everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I didn't think you guys would be able to print a, uh, a whole ramp. You know what I mean? That just didn't cross my mind. I could see Because that's much out. more complex than a heart or a kidney. It is. <laughs> the heart's been around many years. It's fine. Um, <laughs> run down to the the beef store, go get you a cow heart, and have them put it in over the weekend. You're good. You'll be up walking by the end of the day. They normally that use... would be a pig heart, and somebody just yeah. had transplanted into them. Uh, subsequently died. Pig, but... yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he but, didn't die from the transplant. He died from something else. Yep. Because I was following he, that. He made it like two or three months with that heart. He made it for three yep. and a half months with the heart and ended up dying of something unrelated. Yep. It's impressive. It is. It's very cool. Hey, it makes us feel better about drinking scotch, right? I feel pretty good about <laughs> drinking in general. Uh, That's neither here nor there. So during my research... Again, I was coming up blank, so I decided to phone a friend. So I reached out to our dear friend designer, Eric, and I said, Eric, we're having Peter come on the show. I need some questions. Like, are there any good stories or anything? And and Eric's exact reply was, Peter Dorn? And I said, yes, Eric, I'm having Peter Dorn on the show. Are there any, like, tidbits, anything, any, any you know, like, juicy little pieces he could talk about? And he goes, well... Ask Peter about printers on the runway. And I had no idea what the hell that meant. I thought it was a band name. So I asked you about it. And I did ask that you save the story. So this is, I have not heard this yet, but tell us about the printing presses on the runway airway, on the runway airstrip. Okay. So when I first got out of the Marine Corps, um, my first um, businesses that I worked for were printing companies, companies that were making uh, equipment for printing presses, high-speed rotary, really big equipment, really fast uh, rotating equipment. Like your and, Heidelberg uh, stuff like that back in the day? Say that again? Like your Heidelbergs and stuff like that? Uh, yes. Um, okay. Uh, I was developing uh, guides for web presses, um, making a move left and right, um, high-speed camera systems to adjust the ink flow and where it was getting so we could slow down or advance the paper to make things match better. Um, we are doing powder coating systems for sheet fed presses so that at the very end, when they stack all the, the sheet fed, the sheets they were getting printed, they wouldn't stick together. Um, we we're doing all kinds of stuff, but I eventually started working for a business forms uh, printing press company. And um, I had to redevelop an entire printing press. And so um, we made a four unit printing press that printed both sides of the paper. It's called perfecting. And we made, we got an order because we got an order for it. So we, we made all the parts, we put it all together and it was going to China. Our customer was China. And so we tested everything. We created everything. We got everything on flatbeds going to the airport. It was going on flying tigers to China. So they're loading up the plane with these printing presses. And the last one made it to the top of the ramp of this ginormous cargo plane. And it fell off the top of the ramp. And it augured into the tarmac about two feet. Because 
this printing press was about eight feet tall, two inch thick cast iron sides. It was about four feet wide. That's just the that's just the the, the side, and the 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 rollers were like 14, 18 inches round in some of the solids. I mean, there was an enormous amount of weight in these printing presses. So when it fell, it hit hard. So not only so did it destroy the... I've got pictures of the aftermath uh, in one of my um, scrapbooks. So yeah, Aug a printing press falling out of an airplane, damaging the tarmac. The very And it had to be the very last one. Very last one. Had so was it... Was it how hard was it to, to to piece that part back together? Well, we had to rip it all apart. And I was gonna say, how, what were you gonna go pick it up, Bill? Pardon me. I was gonna ask Bill, what are you gonna do? It's not like you can go, you know, do a team lift on that and get it back up. You're talking about probably multiple tons or at least a ton. Probably if it's a crane all out or something like that. Oh, it's more than a ton. Um, oh. you had to get a big wrecker out there. Um, so, yeah. Well, and, th and that's a fragile piece of equipment. So dropping it on the ground, you know, that doesn't help its uh, reliability. You know, no. the, the fact that it's destroyed a runway in the process is, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not only is this plane going to be here for a minute, but we've destroyed part of your runway. My bad. Sorry. Oh, that The movers did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so we're oh, going that's to crazy. We'll see y'all later. <laughs> that's it. Bye. I'm going on break. <laughs> this was paid for already, right? This wasn't a COD. <laughs> All right, we're good. Bye, guys. <laughs> so from the moment of tarmac to the moment the, that piece was ready to be shipped to China, how long did it take for you guys to, to get that uh, situation resolved? Four months. Holy cow. How the hell did you get into gaming and pinball then? Because you, you went from the Marines, which okay, so thank you for your service. Yeah, so... I did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I actually worked at Bally Life Fitness when they first started. Um, I got a lot of friends there. That's right after gaming got sent out to Las Vegas. Um, and Life Fitness is still in the building where I was working. Um, I've done, um, uh, I did uh, a design for the first uh, CNC grinder for Bridgeport Herrig. Um, That's so cool. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. And, um, so I was uh, doing contract work out of my house. I was doing all kinds of stuff. And I got a contract to go to work for Midway Games. And it, to me, it was just another job at the time. And um, honestly, you know, I almost walked away from it. And um, I was there. I was every day I was looking for work. I was just walking up and down the line, seeing if they had work for me, seeing if they worked for me, asking, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And I finally sat down with my boss at the time there. It was Ted Valavanis. And I go, Ted, I'm giving you my notice. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, I'm here for three months. You haven't given me anything to do. I'm taking your money. I can't stand it. So he goes, I'm going to hire you. And I'm like, what are you talking you about? Because you don't have work for me as a contractor, so you're going to hire me and pay me anyways. Okay. He told me that was a test. I'm like, what? And he goes, I wanted to see how long it would take you. That's crazy. I, I was flabbergasted. So I got hired. And, um, you know, so then I spent five, six years at Midway. Um, pinball had closed it during that time. Um, so we got a couple of pinball guys over. Tom Copera took over engineering, mechanical engineering. 
at Midway, who's now over at Stern. Um, he's doing, uh, he's in charge of the game development area. Um, George Gomez came over. George helped. I've, I've on, heard that name before. Yeah. George came over and he was doing game development too. Um, so I got to know George real well. Um, Midway was starting to close. It, you know, you, you could see the writing on the wall. And so Tom left and took me with him to a motorcycle um, equipment manufacturer. And um, so we were developing windshield saddlebags, sissy bars, all kinds of stuff. And um, um, so he left there and came back to Midway when they opened up what was called Top Box. So I gave back to WMS and um, it was everything that was I, IP driven, um, Monopoly, um, you know, Hollywood Squares, everything that cost a lot of money to get the, the, the license for. And those were games that were not being sold. They were leased uh, and participated in every coin drop or dollar that was put in the game. Williams owned the game, so they got some of the money that was being put in the game. So I, I did that for um, six years. And again, all IP stuff. So really over the top, big molds, um, mechanized stuff in there, cool stuff, uh, stuff to draw you into the game. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I left there and I went to work at um, Elite Gaming, which was just starting up. They, they wanted to make their own cabinets and, and market those and um, I was there for about five or six years. Um, then I got recruited to go over to Entropy. And Entropy's got a big history in pinball. Um, Henry Ye uh, was a big exporter of games to Asia, and he was supplying a lot of parts to pinball at the time, uh, back in, in when pinball was really rocking. And uh, so I worked with Henry um, locally, but the offices were in Taiwan. Um, and so I was developing games for him too. And uh, so um, then that's when I got uh, the chance to work at JJP. So I've always been in games and everybody in this industry, almost everybody in this industry back in pinball again, has either tried to do gaming or came out of pinball in the past and has come back or um, they've worked in arcade and they've come back to pinball. They've, you know, all kinds of stuff. So everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So. And, I, and I've kind of noticed that the more and more that I've gotten into it. And um, I think one of the things when you were talking, when we were doing the Expo, Expo tailgate party last October, one of the things that really stood out um, to me about you was the unity that you felt with your JJP family. Like, you guys all work together. You're a team. This is not designer versus designer. This is not, oh, this is my mech guy. This is your mech guy. This is my coder. This is your coder. Don't look at what I'm doing. I don't want your input. You kept reiterating how much of a family it is and how much you guys coordinate and work together and help each other to learn and to grow and to troubleshoot. And that just that's something you don't hear of in such a competitive or in other competitive areas. Pinball seems to kind of be that unique one. And in the past, it was game designer against game designer. Let's be real, because mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of money involved for them. Well, um, and you're referencing more like the Williams days, right? Yes. Okay. All right. And um, but I mean, 
Pat Lawler has given a lot to the company, a lot of information, a lot of his, you know, he came back temporarily and he's been there, what, seven years now? Um, and, you know, we got Steve Ritchie now, two of the biggest names in pinball ever, right? Yep. Prolific game designers and developers. There's so much information that we get to the younger designers like the Eric. And now we've got um, Mark Seiden that we just hired as a game developer who comes out of like home pinball stuff. Um, and he's being mentored by Steve and Pat and Eric and everybody's working together, you know? So, I mean, there's so much information flow between the game designers at this point that it's just amazing. Um, That's so awesome. So, yeah. Well, I mean, between Pat and Steve, how many games are you talking just between the two of them that they've done? You oh, know, I count most I can, of them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they've been around the block, uh, you know, a little bit here. Once or twice. Yeah. 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 They've I mean, seen the see show. They their... know how the movie ends. Like, yeah. Yeah. They certainly do. They certainly do. So but yeah. It's, it's so awesome too so that... I I do want to tell you something though. You mm -hmm. you said that I'm the mech guy. We've got a lot of mechanical engineers. So, and, and I do apologize. And I, I retract that you are one of the met guys and you're the one that I have met that I've really got to talk to, but every one of you is a hero in my book. Cause you make the games fun for me to play, Thank you. but it's also good to know your names because I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to Wonka and started cussing Joe cat's name. Um, <laughs> it, it happens from time to time. You know, just like any other game that I walk up to, if it's if I'm hitting a post instead of the shot that I want, I start cussing the designers. And if I feel that an opto isn't picking up something or I'm getting cheated out of points, I'm cussing the coder. And that's just the way that it is. So I don't necessarily cuss out the guys who are building the mechs for the games. Those are the guys that I really like all the time. It's it's those well-known names that get yelled at a lot. That's the only reason I learn their names. At the end of the day, it's still pinball. You still, it's still a metal ball. You know, I mean, listen, you know, stuff's going to happen. Well, and you know what? Going back to work here. So you, you touched on something. Um, so your role is shifting now. Um, so what exactly does the new role entail, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm trying to keep everybody on track. You know, as we go through, you know, I'm not going to, you know, you can tell my personality in, in this conversation. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a hardliner and beat on my beat my fist on the table or anything, but I still have to hold people accountable for timelines, and because you know time to market is money, and yeah. um, we don't want to get rid of any of the creativity and that's not at all what we're talking about. It's just trying to get some efficiencies in there so that we can get to market quicker. And in fairness, too, as somebody who has worked in positions where I've worked with management that has worked their way up through the ranks and has been on the front lines and then moved up because they've earned it versus working with management because they have a piece of paper that says they should be a manager. I respect the requests and the demands of a manager who has walked in my shoes and faced the same difficulties and trials that I have versus somebody just telling me, go faster, who has literally never done what I've done before and has no idea how to do it. So right. I don't think that you're going to struggle too much. I'm hoping you won't struggle too much with holding people accountable because everybody I've talked to at JJP that I've asked about you, they highly respect you and regard you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you're all right. So we go back a minute. I respect the management team, you know, I respect the ownership. 
Leonard and Brett are absolutely wonderful people. And um, his management team that he sends up from Miami to um, the HR, Tara and and Albert, our CFO, um, wonderful, wonderful people. Marcy has been up for a while. Uh, really easy to work with for me. Um, so, again, you know, I uh, the, the whole team that we have is really good. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've, I've been able to walk through and I mean, you can tell even, you know, some of the people that are on the line, they engage with, you know, um, you can Mike, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. And that's, that's the nice part there. It's not just like you got office people, you got line people. It seems like it, it really is a good sense of family there. It is. I mean, everybody's got something to contribute and mm-hmm. nobody should be taken or, or I should say nobody should be looked as lesser. They all have a contribution to give. Um, and as a, as a mechanical designer, I don't care where an idea comes from. It could be the guy sweeping the floor. He says, did you notice that? Well, no, I didn't. Thank you. You know, and I may implement it or I may not, you know. Um, Sometimes those fresh eyes are, are really, really helpful to see something that you may have missed just looking too much at it. Right, because you sometimes you miss the trees because of the forest. Yep. yep. Absolutely. That is so cool, though. I, I'm super excited. I can't wait to see what's to come. I know there's a lot of rumor and a lot of speculation, and I'm very excited about what's to come from that and what's to come throughout the remainder of the year. I cannot wait to try and get back up to Chicago to Expo. I'm hoping by then you guys will be doing tours again since I got cheated out of my tour last year. Stupid COVID. Safety uh, protocols. Well, yeah. right now, right now we've we've got a closed door uh, policy to visitors in the back or any place in the building except for vendors, and even the vendors aren't even really allowed in the back at this point. Um, we're doing some things, and we don't want it out. Uh, but we're doing some things. I like uh, things. Things are good. And, good. Uh, um, it, you know, so um, once those things are taken care of, um, we will allow people to come back in for um, uh, tours. Um, the COVID stuff is done for us. So those, you know, up until not too long ago, we were still giving tours. So that will be available soon. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm hoping, like I said, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful come October that uh, that you guys will be offering those because I do want to see. I, I am very fascinated by anything that goes from blank slate to full creative immersive design. I, I'm very, very intrigued by that because I'm not, I'm creative, but I'm not artistic, if that makes sense. So being able to see the two minds converge and to create the final product for me is, is very cool. And um, yeah. And I like playing with big tools. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is to be, my favorite place to be in, in our building is in our model shop. I got, I can't lie. I, I love it back there. So did you tell them you want your new office to be back there? Nope. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That that is the, the the area that is uh, off limits to anyone that that does not work for JJP, correct? Uh, no, it will. My office is in that area, but um, the model shop it's wide open. Okay. It's back in manufacturing. That nice. is so so cool. Yeah. So we've got a full wood shop and we've got a full metal shop, so we can 
we can prototype just about anything. See, when I was there, Ken gave me the the dollar tour, not the five dollar tour. You know. Well, you should have taken him to someplace better for lunch. How about? You know. I, well, here, if you work over there, I feel like Portillo's is almost like the default for a long time. Um, I'm sure everyone that that's in pinball doesn't really. Portillo's is not at the top of their list anymore. Well, we've got we Portillo's, get... and we've got um, we've got a couple of different sandwich shops. We got Mexican around us. We got you got the spicy got... chicken place, don't you? Yeah, that's in Elmhurst. That's another town over. That's where Eric goes. <laughs> I, that, I hear a lot chicken. about spicy yeah. chicken I sandwiches. Love, yeah, I love really hot stuff. This stuff is incredibly hot when you go to their really high end. So, so painful. It can be, yes. Okay. You you better bring your tums to work that day. Well, drink milk. That's right. That's right. You got a pregame with some Pepsi. Yep. That's awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time this evening. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's so cool to learn more about you and what you guys are doing over there. I'm excited about the future. I cannot wait to see what's to come next. And I'm really hoping that if I'm able to make it up to Chicago in October for Expo, that you're going to be there and I'll get to at least say hi and maybe grab a hug. That would be awesome. Absolutely. And, and, and hopefully, and then, uh, you know, the, the near future, we can have you back on to talk about other things if you're up for it. Absolutely. Be happy to. And that again, would be you and I still have to sit in the backyard and throw a couple back and, you know, have a, have a nice evening. Well, yeah, I'm, absolutely. Well, we tried a couple of times, and then, you know, it was a Rona thing, it was a cold thing, it was a, you know, your or, kids are carrying the bubonic plague thing, or, well, you know, <laughs> a, a grandfather thing. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Very awesome. So lots of good yeah. things happening this year for you. Yeah, my grandson's name is Wolfgang. How about that? I heard of a guy named Wolfgang before. He was kind of famous. Mozart? Yeah, that's the guy. And, um, and Puck. also uh, Valerie Bertinelli's uh, son, his name is Wolfgang, too, right? Uh, the one that she had with Van Halen, right? With uh, Wasn't it Van Halen she was married to, Eddie that, Van Halen? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Things that I should probably not know, but I do. Yet yeah. I can't remember where I put my car keys, so <laughs> that's fine, too. No pop culture, you know? It's fine. I'm great at trivia. Just don't ask me, you know, questions that you actually want real answers to if your life depends on it, because I'm probably going to get it wrong. Hey, you know what? Pop culture is like the Titanic for us in this house. My daughter and I, we, we watch different things on the Titanic normally every other night when it's my turn to read books. So she's well versed in Titanic, though. Good. Yeah, read her Harry you know. Potter. Harry Potter. Got to read Harry Potter. Read all Are the books. Are you a Harry Potter fan, Peter? I like the I like the books. Okay. Um, I li- I like sci-fi. Um, I like adventure sci-fi. Um, there's a lot of other books out there I like a lot better than that, but they were entertaining. They were. I'm I'm like so anti. I I've never seen them, and you know whatever. Um, you know what? One other question, if you can answer it, and if not, we're gonna let it go. Um, <laughs> if you could pick a dream theme and I don't know if this will be able to even make it on the show or not, but if you could make a dream theme, obviously don't discuss anything that might or be in the works or anything like that. What would it be for me? Yeah. What would be your ultimate? Hey, I'm going to spend X amount of dollars on a pinball machine. I want it to be this theme. That's difficult. 
you know, um, you know, I'm a military guy. Um, you know, I would love to see a military base theme. You know, I'm a former active duty Marine. I would love to see four themes out there. Um, you know, Army, Navy, Marine, Air Force. Um, yeah, I would say Coast Guard too, but yeah. um, I would love to see those. There's so much that can be done within those themes. Flight, water, underwater, um, ground. Stuff you can't talk about where the play field just goes black and you just have to guess. Yeah, right. The whole, <laughs> the whole glass is LCD and it just blacks out, right? Oh, you know what would be cool? Literally the Night thing. vision. Yeah, night vision goes from, uh, you know, your white lights to your green, and it kills half the lights in the game, so it really looks like that'd be pretty badass. Instead of having LED lights to shoot at, have, like, heat sequences that you would see on, like, thermal glasses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The green. I like it. Red. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, I you know, I think that's just got so much opportunity in that type of, of, a, of a pin, but that's just me, and I'm not sure how that would sell, but that would be me. Well, then you would have, you know, not just the normal battles of which division of the military is better, or which branch is better, but then you would also have pinball sales are going to back up, you know, well, Air Force is better than the Navy, and the Marines are better than the Air Force, and Army's just down there somewhere sucking or whatever. And I and I say that tongue-in-cheek. I appreciate all of our military. You guys do what you do, so I get to do what I do. Um, and I, I am so, so thankful for our military. But I could see bickering between my military friends on how this would play out. It, it's all hey. in fun. It's all in fun. It is. For all we know, it could be you guys are working on Top Gun too. The pinball machine comes out in another like three weeks or two Danger weeks. Danger zone. You know. Yeah, it does um. Uh, we can leave that right there. Oh, we don't have <laughs> we're just gonna we're, we're just gonna let that fall that, off the boat. Not working on that. Um. So. It's weekend at Bernie's. We all know. Bill Bill spilled the beans last week. It is weekend at Bernie's. We already know. We can't wait. We're excited. Uh-huh. We're just going to prop it up in the corner and go with it. Weekend at Bernie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Listen, some of my favorite themes would be crappy movies from the 80s. Um, Weekend and gangster at Bernie's. Gangster rap from the 90s. Uh, gangster rap from the 90s. Um, what other? Oh, do, Die Hard. You know, that'd be a great one. Um, Airplane. Airplane would be fantastic for a pinball Wayne's machine. World. What? No snakes <laughs> on a plane? Nobody like that. No, that game is terrible. That movie was terrible. This is so bad. Peter, we've never talked about this, and for the listeners, it's going to be kind of a repeat conversation. But I'm I'm willing to to deal with it. National Treasure would be an awesome pinball machine. Uh, That would be really cool. Ocean's Eleven would be kind of cool too. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that's you know. Expensive. Oh, Kit would be so cool just having the did it. Did it? Did it? Did it? That would be awesome. Dude. But you can't make the mis- You have to make it over a few different episodes. You can't just like Gilligan's Island was based. The pinball machine was based off of one episode where they the professor had to mix a seltzer for the volcano, and that was literally the pinball machine. So it didn't have great legs because of that. I, but yeah. I want to see Miami Vice the pin with Crockett and Tubbs, but I want like the true Don Johnson synthesizers like i i want the whole works from the 1980s on that i loved 
that show. And I promise you, if I ever saw it, I will get a pair of like slip on shoes and a white suit and put like a pink tank top underneath it and walk around and play it. No socks. Can't wear socks. No, you can't. It has to be boat shoes. Yep. Got to get some boat shoes. (laughs) Tarantino movies would turn into some decent pins too. That's pretty, that's pretty blood and guts. Kill Gil, yeah. Kill Bill would be a really cool pin. You know, you know, I'm into the macabre stuff, so that that's a different pinball company. You know, but uh, you know, I actually worked with Rob Zombie at his haunted house here in Illinois, and uh, for two seasons. Um, so the macabre is really good stuff too. That would be awesome. Tarantino would have to be from dusk till dawn, though. That that oh yeah oh that. That that's just bloody. Um, oh yeah, I mean it's 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 just pure evil. But I mean it's so good. But if you did it, you would have to have Danny Trejo doing the callouts. Absolutely. Yes. Because if you don't, you're not doing it service. Right. So yeah. <sighs> so All many right. ways we can go. So I got a question for you, Amanda. Uh-oh. So what's this about you know banning people that want you to get rid of Godzilla? <laughs> Yeah, and, so uh, and, and 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 what's so bad about Ghostbusters? So um, let me, research let me answer yourself. The, you did, you did. I'm impressed. So I will answer the Godzilla question first because that's the easy answer. Um we we don't have basements in Florida because of the water table, obviously. And after moving our pirate CE up and down our stairs twice and it in we have two 90 degree turns and a very small landing in between those two 90 degree turns. We can't put our pins upstairs. So we're very, very limited on space and we have the capacity. Realistically, we have the capacity for six to seven games. We currently have seven in our collection and we have two more on the way. So for those of you who are not um, on our Facebook page, check us out free play pinball podcast on Facebook. I posted a couple weeks ago before our last episode that if this was your lineup, what two would you get rid of? And I listed all of our games and I specifically stated, if you say Godzilla, I will ban you. So our dear friend, Scott Larson from loser kid pinball podcast or the loser kid podcast, him being the instigator that he is, he said, Oh, Godzilla. And the funny part about that is Keith Elwin regularly appears on their show. He's, we joke that that's their third co-host. So when he said that, he also put in parentheses, ban me. I double dog dare you. I don't <laughs> back down from a dare. So I banned him. <laughs> and he literally reached out and he messaged me and said, Amanda, did you ban me? And I said, yes, I did. And then I talked to Bill and Bill was like, did you actually ban Scott? And I said, yes, yes, I did. Because I said, if you say Godzilla, I'm going to ban you. I almost so, said it, though. I would have banned you too. I have that power. <laughs> it, it, it was simple instructions. Don't say Godzilla. And I knew somebody was going to, and I'm, I mean, it, it worked out great that it was Scott because he knew that, you know, this was all done in fun and, and we were, we had a good laugh about it. So I did ban him. And finally, after um, massive amounts of begging, pleading and groveling at my feet, Scott is back as a member of our, of our Facebook page for now. So for a probi- we'll see how long that lasts. Probationary period. Yes, he's on probation right now. So we'll see how long that lasts. 
Um, although I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but Loser Kid dropped a really interesting puzzle in our laps today. So if you guys haven't checked it out, I did tag it on the on the Facebook page. Um, it's a puzzle piece with them on it and three other blank pieces. So gonna keep an eye on that because I like puzzles. Puzzles are fun, so I'm I'm excited to see what they're doing. Um, the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> I hate that game so much. I I don't know why, but I hate that game so much. That was one of the first pinball machines that I've been able to play as an adult. When we started looking at pinball machines and when we were going to buy for the house. Love the theme. I watched Ghostbusters growing up. I loved the movies. I mean, my brother and I would dress up as like Ghostbusters characters when we were kids. We had the, you know, the plastic proton packs and, and everything whenever we were kids in the full costumes. And... So it was like, okay, well, you know, let's check this one out. When we were at a, there's a showroom in Jacksonville that we went to and they had a Ghostbuster sitting there. And I started playing it and Slimer swung over on his little swing arm into the middle of the play field. And I'm, I'm bashing Slimer and like, I'm enjoying myself and I'm having a great time. And this awful, hideous, blood curdling shriek is emitted from this pinball machine. And it was so loud and so scary. My daughter, I think, was two or three at the time. She was still in diapers when it happened because I had to change that diaper. And I had to console her for the hour drive home because she was so freaked out. And I was so mad. And I was like, this game is stupid. It's never coming in our house. I have. I know you can disable it. I have Which tried is what you, you found game. Midnight Madness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have I I love the layout. I love the shots. I love the light show. Now that the code has continued to improve, I really enjoy the code. The artwork is beautiful on it, but for whatever reason, when you put all of the pieces together into one nice neat little package there, I just I don't know what it is, but I don't love it. And ironically enough, that is the one game my husband wants more than any other game. For now. For now. For so, now. And I know Bill likes that game, too. I do. I do. Yeah. I, no. It didn't make the cut. I actually had to sell it uh, in the fall. I wouldn't mind getting another one at some point, though. You we know. almost. I actually gave Michael permission to buy it from you. Yeah, but the problem... So, you know, the same, same situation... Well, not even shipping, but the problem is, is, is so much room. So I've got eight machines right now in my basement. I could fit one more, but it's too, you know, it's just, it gets to be overwhelming here. I have, uh, uh, I haven't put a whole lot of time into maintaining my machines, you know, fixing little lights and stupid stuff like that. So I've been working on that this week and literally every night I've been working on stuff. I don't need to add two, three, four more machines that I don't have time to work on to begin with. So. Not to mention, our you know, issue. they're not cheap, you know. Well, and our issue, too, is we can't get them. We have to keep them packed in so snugly that we can't get them out to work on them. So it's trying to move them means that if it's a game that's in my office and, and we need to pull it out so that we can work on it, I can no longer get to my desk. And I work from home 95% of the time. So that becomes a massive issue because if I get a call from a doctor saying, hey, I need this fixed. I have to be able to get to my game. And let's face it, I'm at that age now where me crawling under games is just not as pretty of a sight as it used to be. And I don't get up quite as fast as I used to. And it's just not nice. And then um, 
in our game in our true quote unquote game room in the front of the house, if we pull a game out to try and work on it, it's blocking the pathway from our front door to our living room. Mm. So there's there's some logistical issues with that. I I told Michael we just need to buy a house that has a barn and and you know insulate and air condition that barn and have a giant game room. There you go. But you know you costs again that whole moving and cost of materials thing is. Uh, the build of materials exceeds my budget, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one game. One. Which game do you have? I've got a prototype GNR. Nice. So Very cool. Yep. Are you happy you got it? I am. Okay. That's all that matters. Yeah, because yeah, I gave you crap about that a long time ago. I'm like, you got to take every game you, you work on. You got to, oh, you got to, you know. No. Now, has it made no. it? To the basement, or is it still on the main level? It's in my living room upstairs. And it is not going in the basement. How does uh, Jana feel about that? She's the one that told me to leave it up there. Really? Yep. Smart woman. It's easier right. to get it out if you have to. <laughs> she even plays it occasionally. So. Nice. That's awesome. When the you kids think Peter's up, nice? Oh, go ahead. What did you say, Amanda? I was gonna say when the kids come over, do they play it too? They do. Their yeah. their men play it more than I than they do. So, because I've got two girls. Right. Well, real quick, Peter's wife is nicer than Peter, if you can imagine that. I know that's I hard. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that because Peter's such a nice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. His wife is even nicer. <sighs> that's awesome. You married an angel. That's awesome. And if you think I'm wrong, Peter, please tell me. But I mean. Sweetheart, you're asking me to say something that <laughs> <laughs> that number one you agree with, but number two would put you in a bad spot. If you... Discretion. Oh. It's like entrapment. <laughs> no, we go back. No, uh, wonderful That's woman. Awesome. Uh, she is. Yeah. She. Is. So. All right. That is All right. Awesome. All right. Well, well, I don't want to hold we... you guys up any longer. Yep. Um, I do have two shameless plugs that I need to do. Number one. Thank you to Drew and all of the poor man uh, pinball fan book or Facebook fan page. You guys rocked. You guys helped us to exceed our goal for our hundred um, followers. So that was awesome. And the second shameless plug that I have is um, congratulations to flipping out because they are going to be sponsoring a, um, a tournament for our friends over at the Delaware pinball collective. So congratulations, I hope, to flipping out, or I'm sorry, Joe Fox and Rodney. I, I'm not sure where that's going to go yet. We'll see how it plays out. So those are my shameless pl plugs. Peter, thank you so much. It was awesome. I absolutely enjoyed it, and you're welcome back anytime. It doesn't matter if Bill's here or not. Well, then thank you that, much. That's that truth serum. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I'd also like to say thank you to JJP and the JJP family. Um you know, they make working at a place not so much work. Um, they make it enjoyable to be there. So um, it, it it really is a, a nice place to work. That's so you, awesome to hear. You can't ask for more than that. Nope. Nope. Yeah, when you wake up in the morning excited to go in, you know it's a good job. Yep, it is. So, right? Uh, that is awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We're going to put a stamp on it and get it shipped out to your ears. We're going to call it Sweet 16, and we will talk to you on the next episode.
Thank you, everybody. Thank you